women. And they're coming to the tomb, as well as Joseph's preparing and setting up the tomb for our Lord Jesus Christ. They brought myrrh and sweet spices, it says, to the tomb to anoint his body. They're there to seek his body and to care for it. Nicodemus, or Joseph, sorry, Joseph of Arimathea goes and, and seeks the body from, from Pilate to care for the body, to place it in a tomb. So we remember them and we remember that their vigil over the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, their offering of their myrrh and sweet spices is a sign for us. The sign for us of the care and the diligence that we should show towards the Lord towards his body. But it's interesting that when they come and they bring the spices, they're not bringing the spices because he stinks. Because what do we use these things for? In the Old Testament, when it talks about making the incense, it says, you know, you bring all the the greatest of the art, perfumer's art to make the incense. But what is perfume for in this world? There are natural things and you can just go and smell them when you go out into the fields or into the forest or even into the desert, which is surprisingly sweet smelling sometimes. And you can smell these things It's interesting that in many cases when the flowers dry up or whatever in the natural environment they don't smell as bad. But these things are to cover up death. Fundamentally, death and stench. So when they bring Myrrh to him, they think that they're bringing myrrh to cover up the smell of death, the normal human thing, for which we develop a whole wisdom of how to deal with it, how to cover it up. That smell which pervades all of human Human worldly glory is the smell of death. As one can only imagine the smell, for instance, in the court of Louis XIV, where people never bathed, but used a lot of the perfumer's art. All those stinky nobility, aristocrats stuck in that one place, never bathing and constantly covering it up with perfume. So it's 
cover up death. And so when we smell the, the beautiful smells that we then later on distill into perfume, we're remembering the springtime and the beautiful blossoming of things and life. And we want to affirm life. And in the end, what do we affirm life for? Do we affirm life so that we can just watch it pass? The whole point of doing these things, of making these things, is to give some sort of sense of eternity. Notice that if you watch perfuming commercials, that they try to make it look like there's some sort of air of eternity in that perfume. Like something timeless. That's why they use you know, weird colors and all this sort of thing. Make it look like people are like practically made of gold or something. So this is to seek life and to seek this eternal spring, this eternal time of joy, this eternal time of fragrance and life. And so when they bring it to the tomb of Christ, in the end they don't use it. They anointed him in the first place, but in the end when they bring him the, the myrrh, they don't use it. The myrrh itself, all the ointments and the spices and whatnot, is blessed by him. As the Song of Songs says, that he is fragrant. This is about Christ. And his fragrance is something that lasts forever. If we put ourselves at the tomb of Christ, where the good news goes forth, then we have that fragrance of life. You know, and you can try to describe it, but it's something that really surpasses description. You could talk about sweetness, and you could talk about a hint of this and a hint of that, but it will, all the words you will use will never convey. If you have somebody who couldn't smell, they would, you could never convey to them the life of Christ, the life-giving power of Christ. You couldn't even convey what a real, actual smell was like. I mean, if a person hasn't smelled something, they can't, they can't imagine it, right? You can try to give them a few coordinates, but that's about it. And that's why when the myrrh-bearing women come and they hear that he has risen, they leave the tomb and they're not, you know, babbling and they're not, uh, you know, singing praise songs or something like this. They're not speaking in tongues. They go out from the tomb and they're silenced. They're silenced. It's like that feeling that you have when you encounter something that is deeply powerful, even in a sensory sense, when you encounter something deeply powerful 
The urge is not to, to cover it over with your noise, but the urge is to quietly take that thing of power and perceive it. Not to get in the way with yourself. And they were afraid. Because where there should have been the smell of death, there was the smell of life. And we are afraid, actually, to see God transform the things that are in their normal places. And for us, really, death is in its normal place. You know, so much of our life is planning to die at around 90 or 80 or whatever. You know, if we're really pessimistic, 70 or something. Planning to die. And all the good things are the things that you do before you die. The good things are not the things that happen after you die, according to most reasonings. But that's all baloney. The good thing is after we die, not this life, not the comforts, not the beauty of this life, not all the culture we build up in this life, not all the things that we're used to, not the music we like, not the, uh, the art that we like, not the perfume that we like, not the clothes that we like, none of that is going to really be anywhere near what happens when we encounter life. When we encounter life, it's going to be like a tremendous and thunderous silence put over all of this worldly stuff that we build up as who we are and what, what our life is. Because we've built our life around this world. But we're going to smell something that will be an overpowering smell. You know, what we think of as an overpowering smell is usually not some good smell. It's usually some rotten, terrible, deathly smell. But imagine if there was an overpowering smell that wasn't sickly sweet. You know, an overpowering good smell is something that's too much, it becomes sickly, it's disgusting. But the smell of life is going to overpower us. That radiance of the one that we desire, Christ, risen, is going to overpower us. When the apostles saw him transfigured, they fell on their faces. True encounter with Christ does not produce, does not produce talking and, uh, you know, sociability and noise and gregariousness. It produces quiet and stillness in the heart that comes from awe. 
even from fear. That's why the apostles, very interestingly, the myrrh-bearing women doing something sort of diaconal here where they go and bring this sweet-smelling spices like the deacons carry the incense and all that. The apostles said, oh, we can't, we can't do all these other things. We have to focus on teaching. So what do they do? They ordain deacons. They can't be busy with, you know, running around throughout the church and, you know, taking care of the doors and making sure that everybody lines up properly. The apostles are supposed to be there for teaching, for proclaiming fear and trembling and silence before God. And all. That's what the prayers tell us too. Those prayers which are not sort of our normal way of looking at things. If we were to make speech that fits our normal mentality, we'd say some easy, easy quip about this or that or the other thing. But they say, you know, that you are unspeakable, unsearchable, ineffable, incomprehensible. They're not telling us, oh, you know, just go out and, and have an easy way of dealing with the rest of the world. Saying, go out and be awed. Be silenced. By the life that Jesus Christ gives us. Awed and silenced. Silence of the head. Even a silence of the heart. Of all the thinking. Of all the emotions. Certainly of all the babbling that comes out of our mouths, which sometimes is neither head nor heart. It's just like, you know, automatically, automatically replaying a bunch of babble. So this is what we have to seek. This awesome experience that the one that we love is risen from the dead. The one that we desire, the life that we desire, Christ, our God, is risen from the dead. And let us be awed by that. Yes, we have to go out in the, the world and do all kinds of things and talk to people and blah, blah, blah. But let us deep in our hearts carry that awe and fear and trembling that the women carry away. Because instead of offering their myrrh, they smelled the fragrance of life. Instead of making a little sacrifice for him, they realized that his sacrifice was power itself radiating out into all the world. Life itself radiating out into all the world. That when they were bringing him myrrh and sweet-smelling spices, God himself had manifested him, himself in glory. He had come down. And he had come down not just to earth, but he had gone down to hell and left the powerful smell of life, the fragrance of life even in hell. 
and certainly in the tomb. So let us, in our hearts, feel that silence and that awe and drink deeply, drink in deeply the smell of life, the fragrance of life, and no longer be weighed down and surrounded by the smell of death. It is this life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.